Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Williams, and thank you for joining me on the first ever Karmic Story podcast, where we take some of my favorite karmic stories and share them with you. Now, the karmic story is an astrological technique that was developed by the Michael Jordan of astrology, Stephen Forrest, and I have taken and with a little tweaking turned into the foundation of my astrological practice. Now, this is the catalyst of why we were here, what we were to heal, and in that healing, finding true liberation and leading a life from the heart that is synergistically connected to the soul. Now, today's karmic story is of Annalise Cordone, a lovely young woman living in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, Annalise is an absolute joy to work with, and I found her karmic story a very interesting look inside a soul whose journey just needs a little encouragement, and with that encouragement, the sky's the limit. So I hope you enjoy today's karmic story, and as always, feedback is welcome. And so for more information on getting your own karmic story, please visit bradwaymsastrology.com, and while you're there, please check out our astrology hats, and with that, we shall begin. This astrological consultation is for Annalise Corden, born Tuesday, 3-29-94 at 5-21 p.m. in Berkeley, California. And Annalise, all that information is correct to the best of your knowledge? That is, yes. Wonderful. So a couple of things before we get started. Uh, first and foremost, I will not be using a whole lot of astrological jargon to explain the planetary influences that are affecting your natal chart. Uh, that being said, if I do use any uh, jargon for any kind of special emphasis or if you ask me a question about where the fuck I'm seeing something, uh, I promise to explain it in the most simplest terms so as it go flying over your head and then you fire me as your astrologer because I'm much too complicated. Okay, perfect. All right. So uh, in this particular reading, uh, I will be telling what is called a karmic story. Now, the karmic story is based on a potential past life that you can take either literally or figuratively. The reason why this story is important, uh, it's not because it's cool to know who you might have been in a past life. The reason why this story is important is because there is something that was not healed from a previous incarnation that you brought into this lifetime. And so as I'm telling the story, what I really want you to pay most attention to are the feelings of the story, because the details are going to be very different. Trust me, they're different. <laughs> but okay. but uh, what you'll find is that the emotional and mental makeup of that previous incarnation and the restrictions and the things that happened to you have been presented to you into this lifetime in a similar kind of way, just in a different you know perspective. So it, it, that being said, as I was saying, just pay most attention to the feelings. All right. Okay. Sure. Now, another caveat on the story. The story is not a pleasant story. Um, if it was a pleasant story, then it wouldn't be a story to tell in this proceeding. <laughs> okay. Um, and so uh, it doesn't mean that in that life that you didn't have some beautiful moments um, and, uh, and a lot of successes. It just means that there was something that got stuck. Okay. Okay. And so I have to tell this story in a way that, uh, that gets that out there so that you know, a lot of the things that you've had to deal with in this life so far um, won't seem so random. Um, I'm sure that looking at your chart that you kick yourself every time that you have a relationship or partnership that uh, runs amok within a few days of meeting somebody. And, you know, and we're going to help you understand what that is. And I say we, I don't know who we is, but um, me and you collaborating can be we. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty interesting story and one I've never told before. Oh my gosh, awesome. I'm so excited. All right. Annalise, you ready? Yes, let's do it. All right. Without further ado, I'd like for you to imagine. I'd like for you to imagine being born in Venice in around 1868. I'd like to imagine in that particular incarnation that you were born to a mother who did not know who your father was. 
In this way, it could have been several men, but it wasn't something that she was able to share with you because she was dealing with severe mental breakdowns that forced you to grow up very quickly. So she would tell you that you were actually a divine birth or an immaculate conception or whatever that is with really no father. And also in that particular incarnation, it was very prominent. And I would say that it's somewhat prominent in this lifetime, but probably blocked. So we're going to figure out how to get this to come back if, it's, if it is blocked. And you can tell me this later. But in that life, you had visions. Okay. Now, these visions would come true at times, and you became very fearful of these visions because they were normally pretty scary circumstances around pain, kind of like Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars, like, you know, Padme's going to die. So they came in your dreams and, you know, your mother uh, had a similar sensitivity to psychic type of work and that kind of thing. And that was probably the reason why she lost her shit in that particular incarnation. Okay. So this is kind of the, the, the juxtaposition of where we're headed in this early part of this presentation. But I want you to start to feel the essence around this, around, you know, not really having an identity at the very beginning of your life because, you know, the father to a certain degree represents the ego and our growth. And so in this particular incarnation, you are having a difficult time getting your sea legs wrapped around your ego and also having a mother that from a very early age, you felt like you had to take care of her. And so in this particular lifetime, which I probably should have said a little bit earlier, maybe right off the bat, you were a male. Okay. Oh, wow. And you were a very pretty male at that. Um, you grew up um, to be a very strong person, but had androgynous features, especially when you were young. So you look kind of girlish. And oh so as gosh, such, really cool. yeah, so as such, you know, unfortunately you were teased by the boys that you look like a girl, especially when you had longer hair. But here's the interesting thing is that the girls would love to be with you because you, they were highly attracted to you, even as a young age. And so you enjoy the company of the girls, but you know, what you really craved as a young boy was the respect from the other boys. And without a strong father figure, this was very difficult for you to achieve because, again, you were kind of flailing at times around your masculinity. You're trying to show how tough you were and you know, only to get your ass kicked over and over again until you became stronger and tougher with age. And so you were kind of like this, this feisty ass kicker or getting your ass kicked type of person, but you weren't afraid. Um, there was a lot of courage with you in that life, but it was an overcompensation from what you were lacking, you know, internally. You were you were covering up for a lot of the fear-based stuff that was in there. So let's say that you were very fearful. Let's rephrase that, but with a lot of courage. Okay. So let's imagine a life of building a safe, kind of do it alone for material. Oh, hold on a second. Sorry. Somehow. All right. So yeah. So let's imagine a life of building a safe, do-it-alone drive for material and emotional security because of your lack of father and a mentally weak mother. And so at times, fearful of the visions that came every so often, so that in that life, you can imagine growing up very poor uh, with your basic needs far from your disposal. And so I'd like for you to imagine you know, being in this kind of environment. You, know, you grew up in this environment, and I will say that you eventually, when we get to the end of the story, you did find some financial wealth in that lifetime. So it wasn't always that way, but I want you to really feel the essence of growing up in this particular lifetime, you know, just very poor and just not having enough food to eat or 
you know, maybe sometimes going from one shelter to another, not always having a place to stay. And sometimes you did and sometimes you didn't. But, you know, again, you have this mentally weak mother who can't really make money of her own. And so at times you're going out and, 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 and you know, and, and, and sometimes hunting for your own food. And so you loved animals in that life and actually found your place amongst them when you were little and smaller, let's say like 10, 11, 12, um, amongst them in the lagoons outside of Venice. Now, you also had a knack for hunting, and this is where you would go when you needed to find food and when money was in short supply, you know, and also fish. So, you know, basically, you know, you would, you know, sometimes catch, you know, food or, you know, animals or whatever, bring them into the market and sell them and make some money that way. But at this point, you had this rage burning inside you, but also a very gentle nature towards certain animals. And so you called a lot of the animals in the lagoon your friend, and even at times releasing the same bunny rabbit that you might have caught several times, even though the food would have been worthwhile. And so this bunny was your friend, and you would not harm it. And that being said, there were plenty of rabbits and birds that you had no problem taking home to mom or selling to people in the market and that kind of thing. So you can, if you start to feel this essence, there's one side of you that's this, this, this gentle soul this sort of spiritual being, you know, this little Buddha inside of you, but at the same time, this, this, this inner rage, this, this inability to understand what your limitations are within your masculinity, the, 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 the certain points of emphasis around protecting yourself, not having a father, always trying to figure out when your next meal is coming, like all of these different things. So in a sense, growing up, you are a survivor, okay? There's no harm in that. But think about how growing up in a way that your survival mechanism is always on, you know, the adrenal fatigue, you yeah. know, the, 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 the worry about what's going to happen. You know, if I didn't take care of this, was mom going to be taken care of and all of these different things. And so in this life, because of your circumstances and the way that you had to survive, there was never a time for you to just truly rest, you know. And this even goes into when you became older and you know, more successful. And so let's just say that the adrenaline was always flowing. You know, each and every day, another adventure at either scrapping with the boys, later with men, especially when it came to their wives, there was always danger looking in the streets of Venice. And plus your mom, if she was dealing with a manic episode, could be lost in the city, sometimes for days, without her even her clothes on. Yeah. And oh so, gosh. you know, this is a pretty rough growing up, you know, for somebody, you know, in the 1800s. And, and, and I mean... You think about it today, it would be catastrophic. But back then, you know, our intestinal fortitude in a lot of ways became much stronger in mm -hmm. that regard. And so okay. while you were getting your ass kicked, you know, you learned to become, you know, to hold your own, that people didn't really mess with you. And you earned the respect of the boys that turned into young men as you grew older because, you know, again, you, you became pretty tough around it. You know, and I would imagine that in this lifetime, you're pretty tough yourself. And so... As time moved on, and around 15 years old, uh, an older woman of about 38 years old found you out in the lagoon when she was on a quail hunting you know, trip or adventure or whatever she was doing with a party of a few men that were there to kind of help her out or whatever. And so you had stumbled across one of her traps her men had placed and broke it into a million pieces as you went diving off as the guns went off. So she almost killed you. And so she walks over to you, kind of pissed off, and starts to admonish you for breaking her trap. 
And then all of a sudden she stumbles in her voice as she looks at you and in your icy blue eyes and just again you're strikingly pretty like handsome like just drop dead but maybe not always noticed because you know you're from the other side of the tracks is how often you get a bath you know that kind of thing and right. so but she looks you in the eyes and the eyes aren't being covered up and she just there's just felt a familiarity but also a little lustful attraction i remember you're 15 she's 38 now oh my God. Role reversal around that time wasn't a big deal. If you're a 38-year-old man and found a 15-year-old young girl, you're probably going to marry her, that kind of thing. Yeah. But this is a little bit different. And what's interesting about this and that familiarity and this lustful attraction, she really wanted you, but at the same time, she hated you. <laughs> and the interesting thing about it is that you hated her too. You know, after she got the traction – because she hated you, you, you know, you hated her too. Because eventually she gets, you know, after fumbling her words at first, because she's so like strikingly taken by your 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 eyes, that she starts to cuss you out in Italian because because you broke her, you broke her her trap. And so, but you also felt these kind of stirrings inside. And since you were only fifteen, you weren't really sure what they were. But this first instance of passion and rage were rising to the surface of your being. And so this woman tells you that you owe her a new trap. And you argue with her in your defense. Basically, you started shooting guns. I ducked out of the way. You know, sorry I smashed your trap. But remember, at this point, you really know how to defend yourself. But there was this also, again, this very soft veneer that you're protecting within you again overcompensating because you know this softness about you you know this cosmically connected spiritual being you don't know the words for that but you know that there's something about you that connects you to all things and all of that and you don't know what it is and it makes you think you're crazy because you know you think you're a good catholic you know young boy in venice around that time and you know that's the devil's work and you know again you're just all kinds of confused when it comes to this type of stuff yeah and so here you are in this protecting the soft veneer and after getting into it with one of the men, because he's coming over there to try to protect her and be all chivalrous or whatever, and you know, and and, and the, the 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 man comes over there and he's you know all in your face and all of a sudden you clock him, <laughs> punch the dude right in the face. Oh my gosh! And so the lady starts to laugh. She thinks it's hilarious, and she says to you, "Boy, fix the trap and bring it to my house when you are done." And uh, I won't have these men come round you up and take you into town and turn you into the authorities for punching my guy here. Because she thinks it's funny because, like, you know, she's a feisty one, too. And, you know, and she's got these sort of minion men that are, you know, she's hired or whoever they were, house workers, whatever they were taking, our, you know, taking care of her. And so this, this, this older guy comes up there and thinks he's Mr. Badass trying to protect her. And here's this young 15-year-old that clocks him, knocks him to the ground. And so you reluctantly agree, only because you want to see where she lives. But, you know, your guard is still up. Mm -hmm. So about a week later, you go to her house, which is this sprawling mansion with a gate outside. And this actual, this mansion was actually left to her by her father. So she's, she's come from money. And you had no idea this lady was this rich. I mean, again, you just met her out in the lagoons outside of Venice. 
And this freaks you out even more because for the whole week before, as you fixed the quail trap, you thought of her and imagined her in a way that, you know, we can use our imagination of a 15-year-old boy might dream. I'm not going to get into right. detail. I want Me Too calling me up from his reading. So she mentions your so she mentions your clothes and you have a defensive response to it. But over the course of the conversation you start to let your guard down a little bit. You know, she wants the help and she says she'll pay you a small amount to come over and do some things around the house for her and you agree and in the meantime she says that she you know that that you can't be going around in clothes like that and to make sure that you have a bath before returning. Like don't come over here again smelling all holy hell and face all dirty. So she gives you some money for some clothes and tells you, you know, which shop to go to mentioning to tell that person that she sent you. And at the same time, make sure you have a bath before you go there. And so over the course of the summer, you spent almost every day there learning all about her and learning that she's married and her husband travels a lot. In the meantime, falling madly in lust with her. Notice there's a difference. Lust and love. This might be a theme mm-hmm. the rest of the story. Okay. So in the meantime, falling madly in lust with her. Now, she is doing all she can not to cross a boundary with the young boy, but after a letter from her husband that he had found someone else in a drunken state, she comes on to you. Now, this was an explosive, pent-up experience in which rage and passion consumed you. Everything you feared was thrown away in a brief moment of this euphoric sexual encounter. The only problem was, again, you confused lust with love, and with a woman with this kind of experience, all she wanted was a toy, and you were a beautiful display of a boy who could fill the physical needs and wants of a woman moving towards 40 and being alone. And so as this affair continued over the course of six months, you became more attached, and fear and anxiety came as some of your dreams started to suggest that she would be getting back with her husband. Again, the seership. And so this really made you feel uneasy. And then she started to feel uneasy because she could see how attached you were getting. And you're a 15-year-old boy. This is your first love. This is the first sexual encounter. Like all of these different things. And again, you're you're looking to fill some sort of need in that lifetime that was not given to you by your parents because there was no dad. And mom is, you know, she's unattainable. And so because she could see that in this way that she was kind of like a drug to you. Yeah. But actually, she, you were also kind of like a drug to her. Mm-hmm. And so no matter how much she felt she needed to end it, the passion was just too strong to dissolve. Okay. And so both of you were at fault in this kind of thing. She knew better. You're a kid. Right. So after about six months, seven months, Guess who shows back up? Not the husband. <laughs> yep. The, hus- the husband shows back up and finds you both in bed. Oh my God. The drama. You're right. Now this was a vision that you had in your dream. Like you already, you saw this coming. And so he ends up hitting you upside the head with, with his pistol. And you wake up in a Venetian gutter the next day. Barely able to walk having a hard time thinking straight, not really knowing what happened, where you live, kind of wander around a bit with a little bit of amnesia. Wow. And it takes a few days before you get your bearings and figuring out you know, what really happened. 
you make it home and as a few weeks pass and your memory comes back to full, you realize what happened. You run back to our house only to be denied, denied entry. And this devastates you as you get no closure or able to ever speak to her in person ever again. Oh my gosh. And so you can imagine this, this sort of torturous type of, you know, you put yourself back as a 15-year-old in this life and first yeah. loves and all that stuff and the anguish around it. Oh my gosh. And so here That's we so are. Sad. Let's go, let's jump to about 18. And so around this time is, you know, your mother passes away. And this was a bit of a blessing. You know, mm -hmm. you, you loved your mother, but, you know, again, having the, at this point, 18 years of your life is always on and worried about what she was going to do next, but also trying to take care of yourself. Also coming out of the, 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 the trauma of this particular relationship in which you got hit upside the head with a gun and it was never able to find out what happened or anything like that. You know, you can imagine nights, you know, banging on the gate, that kind of stuff. Right. And so your mother passes away around your 18th birthday. And the thing about it is that, you know, at this point, because of your struggle, you were very miserly. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't spend any money that was frivolous at all. And so, you know, she had paid you some money, which was a lot more money than you'd ever seen before throughout that six or seven months because, again, you were doing things around the house or whatever. And you pretty much saved that stuff. And then you also made money by you know, doing the hunting and, and doing other odds and ends around that. So by the time you're 18 and your mother passes away, you got a little bit of a nut, you know, just a little bit. Okay. Now, because you weren't spending it, but you decide yeah. at that point, because you no longer need to be in Venice, that you want to travel around Europe. And so... <laughs> 18th birthday, around that time, mother passes away, and you head out to travel around Europe where you had an easy time finding women, but never able to allow yourself to fully let go. And so from Paris to London to Madrid, you would have these affairs, many in the cloak of darkness. And you were seeking to find some sort of something, but weren't really truly sure what it was. And after a while, you forced yourself to stop having the visions, or at least you ignored them. And basically, you didn't want to sleep because you were afraid to dream, keeping the candle lit into the deepest, darkest of the night, always, you know, always on, never able to truly shut off in search of meaning that was left at the altar of love and living a life in which relationships were very illusionary in that life. Okay. You know, and so like this, this sense of, you know, fulfilling a need in a way that, you know, you would only allow a, per a person to get so close to you in that lifetime before you would walk away from it. Because again, the fear of what happened before. And at the same time, you know, and I might be repeating this later, but at the same time, wanting and longing to be understood, you know, not allowing yourself to be understood, but not really knowing the difference. You know, why don't people understand me? You know, they want me because I'm pretty. You know, they want me because I'm beautiful. They want me because I'm mm -hmm. handsome. But yeah. once, you know, once they have me in this way, then, then what is it? Why? You know, what, what, yeah. why won't they get closer to me? And the reason for that in that particular lifetime was because you wouldn't let them in. You know, you were illusionary yeah. just the same. Yeah. And so 
you end up becoming pretty financially successful. And this is based on your hunger. And I mean literal hunger growing up. Um, there was a drive there to not be hungry that carried you. And you can imagine the work ethic that comes with that because like, you know, living a life that you grew up hungry, that sucks. And you're not a moron. You're actually pretty brilliant in that lifetime. And I'm sure you're brilliant this lifetime too. But <laughs> you. so, so you were able to, to put things together and, you know, and rub two pennies together and come up with 10 cent and that kind of stuff. And so, but this thing that carried you from that hunger, it also came at a cost. And like I said, I might be repeating it, but in that, in that you were a loner, even in the midst of a hundred friends in a room, you would feel like an outcast, you know, happy to be with them, but all the same feeling alone, maybe even being the person known for their dark humor and fun loving attitude, but always a mystery to people living a life of feeling like you could only rely on yourself and do it all by yourself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Annalise, what you've asked yourself to do in this lifetime is to trust people again. You are here to learn what true intimate partnership really is, to bond with carefully chosen partners, to understand the difference between mystical lovemaking of give and take instead of animalistic rage and passion. You want people to understand you so bad, but if you don't let them in, how can they? You know, and so like, it's, it's like this question, like, do they all need to earn your trust first before you let them in? It's like the chicken or the egg, you know? So in essence, you are here to trust yourself, to trust other people again in intimacy. So first, it's like trusting yourself to understand that you don't have to make all the right decisions and everything in life and putting the pressure on yourself so much that when somebody else comes along that you might be into that you're like, oh, wow, I don't know if I trust myself to do the right thing with them which might be just throw yourself all over them, you know, because yeah. this sort of instinctual type of animalistic side of you that wants to merge with somebody else so bad physically can stop the intuitive side of you that wants to really merge with them mystically. Yeah. And so there is a difference with this and this is what you're learning. And so yeah. understanding the difference between lust and love being in lust, being in love, and understanding that no matter how passionate a sexual encounter will be with you at times with certain people, that it does not mean that they love you or you love them. And so there is a confusing mechanism in that with you in this lifetime that you're breaking free from, okay? And what I'm going to suggest in this is that not to worry about it so much or to get in your head about it because it's already in your head, but at the same time, Understand that organically this is going to flow and you're going to have the lessons in this because you're still pretty young That's going to give you the opportunity to grow out of this organically So don't put so much pressure on yourself to not sleep with a person or sleep with a person because you're afraid that if it's really really great That you're going to be confused if it's love or lust or not and so yeah. in this particular way You're supposed to have the experiences to get it out of your head. So you stop okay. worrying about that and so, not, again, okay. I'm not telling you to sleep with everybody you have a connection with. But, <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is that if you really feel strongly compelled, you know, you're, you're out somewhere and, you know, like, you know, and, and again, I'm going to tell a, some kind of, you know, proverbial kind of illusionary story of meeting somebody at the airport. And, like, you have this, like, thing. And, like, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with going out and meeting this person at this airport and going out and having this thing. And then, and, 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 and that's falling in love for a few hours. You know, like, and I guess the point that I'm trying to make with this is that take away 
the power of what sexuality is because on one hand sexuality is trying to gain power but also mm -hmm. people taking power from you yep De yep. demystifying that side of it so that it becomes more of a sense of connectivity with another person and then over time you'll be able to trust your instincts better when it comes to that wow that is so crazy <laughs> also is, yeah also what you've asked yourself to do in this lifetime is to calm down in a sense of, oh my god <laughs> in a sense yep. I promise you'll be able to talk here in about 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. To calm down in a sense of finding simplicity in your dramas. Basically learning how to simply walk away in a stormy argument and forgetting the last word. And understanding that, yeah, compromise never pleases anybody. But in this lifetime, compromise is an important stepping stone to finding the middle ground. But that being said, it's important for you in this life to have respectful disagreement that keeps the compass needle pointed at the idea that it's okay for someone close to you to have different ideas, you know, different ideas around politics, religion, love, like any of those types of things. So you meet, you meet and you have a connection with somebody. And let's just say for the sake of our current space we're in, that want to use a Trump supporter and want to use a Biden supporter. And so the other person, no matter what they believe, whether they're the Trump supporter or the Biden supporter, is coming to a middle ground with you on this. They love you so much. But it's important for you to be able to have a respectful disagreement with them and not feel fear like it's going to be the stepping stone of it ending. And another way of looking at this, and I like to use um, this analogy, and maybe, I don't know if you've heard the podcast that I just did with um, Pauline and Jen, but... And I don't remember if I used this analogy, so forgive me if you've heard me say this before, if you, if you listen to that podcast. But um, there's a movie called The Favorite. Have you ever seen it? Um, no, I don't think I have. Okay, so the, the movie The Favorite came out about three or four years ago. It's got Emma Stone in it. It's got Rachel Weisz in it. And it also has, I can't think of her name, but she's playing the queen now in The Crown. You watch The Crown? Oh, wait. Okay, I totally remember what you're talking about. I have seen it. <laughs> okay, good. Right. I, yeah, I do remember it. Well, and, and, I, and it's one of those period pieces that gets like a 90 on IMDb and wins Oscars, but it, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, they, they just haven't seen it, but or they don't really right. remember it. But the reason why I remember it is because I was coming out of my marriage and it really taught me what love was at 43 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm 45 now. Um, and so... The way this works for you in understanding what love is in this lifetime and learning how to love and partner in this lifetime is understanding that you have to love the shadow too. And that goes in both ways. You have to love the shadow about yourself. You know, so stop being so critical of yourself and the things that you think that are wrong with you. But then at the same time, doing the same thing in your partnership. And so in that movie, Rachel Weiss's character, if you remember, she's cousins with uh, Emma Stone's character. And so they're conniving with each other to win the affections of the queen. And so if you remember, Rachel Rice gets kicked out. Well, she eventually makes her way back to the castle or wherever she was, and she's banging on the door. And I'm going to use a really horrible English accent right now. And she's like, let me in, let me in. I love you, I love you. 
And so the queen is like, how do I know that I like that you love me? And she's like, because I'll tell you how awful you look in that dress. And it like, it hit me. It hit me after being married for nine years. That part of the problem was that I was, I was always afraid to say the truth of what I was feeling. And so that's what love really is, is being able to say the truth about something that's negative about your partner, but knowing that it comes from a place of love and that it doesn't disrupt the idea of the potentiality of the relationship going forward. And so this is a big part of what you're learning in this lifetime in this lesson, is to speak up about the truth when it comes to the relationship, but not in a defensive type of posture. You know, basically, if you're dating somebody or you're married to somebody and you're like, they're like, I want to have sushi. And you're like, I want to have steak that you just don't say, even though you are learning compromise in this lifetime, but that you don't just back down to that. And again, this is where the, the, the this is a easy, respectful disagreement. And so again, there are more, much more complicated things that we have to figure out in our respectful disagreement and what you're learning how to do in this lifetime. Because again, Coming out of that previous incarnation, one in which you had to do everything your way, you built in coping mechanisms to make you and help you survive. And in doing so, you had to get into arguments with people. You had to force yourself into situations. You had to assert yourself into certain ways that you know sometimes stepped on people. But again, you were a survivor. You weren't an awful person. You were a good person. You were actually covering up a lot of that soft... Piscean, beautiful, like mesmerizing cosmic stuff, <laughs> for the lack of a better <laughs> analogy. So, also, what you've asked yourself to do in this lifetime is to remove the material as a cure for security. And so, you'll never have enough if you base your sense of self worth on material security in a way of feeling safe. It's a never ending battle with you and even if you have a billion dollars in the bank, you still would feel like you're going to lose it at any point in time if you're basing it on your sense of self-worth. And it's not like you're showy. You know, I don't know. Again, I haven't looked at your at your Instagram because I, you know, I don't want to be swayed in any kind of way. But um, I don't believe that you're showy. Um, I don't believe that you're uh, any kind of way um, overly superficial. I'd say that. Most people have some sort of superficiality in them, so I can't give you too much credit. <laughs> but but there's a lot of things around in which when you are coping that it comes down to material things. Yeah. And it's important for you to understand that those material things can also turn into people. You know, what can I get out of this person? That kind of thing. You know, what, what kind of value, you put a value on everything, an ROI to a certain extent. You know, what can I get from this person? And so what people really want to do for you, Annalise, and you got to start letting them without really asking. Because when you ask, you usually get a no. But when somebody offers, you say, no, I'll do it myself, is to let people help you. And that goes back to the whole idea of trust and trusting people. And in, in empowering people around you that you truly care about to do things for you, even though they might not be able to do it as 
accurately or as productively as you, but over time they will. So in a way you're learning patience, patience with people. And in that patience, again, comes through letting go of the anxiety around the energy of missing something, you know, waking up in the middle of the night. There's a there's an analogy that Stephen Forrest uses. He's a, an astrologer that I really admire that uh, he uses for um, a, the type of energy or karma that you're dealing with. And uh, he says that uh, you're like a person that was at Vietnam and you come home and you got a little PTSD. And so you're laying in bed with your lover one night and then a car backfires out in the street and you shoot up and you throw a knife through the wall. And so you came into this life with that kind of energy, a type, a type of reaction that might've served you well in a previous incarnation. Yeah. No longer serves you well. You don't have to be on guard anymore. Okay. And you can let people protect you. You know, you can let people in. You can let people see this beautiful, amazing, intuitive, you know, sometimes emotionally scarred Annalise. And understand that the more that you reveal your vulnerability, the more that you talk about your wounds, the more that that psychic sensitivity that you had so well but were afraid of and didn't really know how to use it or channel it will start to come back in this lifetime. And I think that you've had different perspectives already happen. They probably have freaked you out. There's a, there's, a, there's a serendipitous type of thing that, again, it takes a little bit of the control away from you. And when that happens, that really freaks you out because, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a severe idea around control with you in this life that you're really letting go of. And yep. I'm going to tell you something, Annalise, and this is important. And this is very neat. Um, and this has something to do with me, but you and I both have the South Node and the North Node in Taurus Scorpio, okay? And the reason why I'm telling you this is because what I'm about to say, I want you to know that at 45 that it's been amazing. But the North Node in Scorpio is the probably the hardest nodal axis that somebody can have. Oh my gosh. Now, one day you'll be able to read my memoir to see what I went through as a kid. Now, I wouldn't want my childhood on one hand given to my worst enemy, but on the okay. other hand, it was beautiful too. Yeah. And so I had beauty and shadow. I had the yin, the yang. I had chaos, the order. And growing up and in a lot of ways this is probably reflective of your life this lifetime and so when people are born with this nodal axis they have tremendous tremendous power within themselves to transform their lives and to help other people transform their lives the only matter of it is is allowing other people to help you do it because there's no question that your instincts and your analytical mind knows how to protect you. It knows how to get things done. It knows how to persevere alone. But you're not supposed to do that in this lifetime. 
You're supposed to trust people again. You're supposed to allow people to love you again. And even the people that love you that have some sort of quirky bullshit that goes on with them in their own type of life, that you're supposed to accept that too is not a fault of you or a fault of them, but just a part of the equation when it comes to love and finding love. Yeah. Annalise, how you doing? Okay, well, I had to mute myself because I was tearing up like a baby. I'm sure that happens on every session, though. It, ha um, it happens on occasion, yes. Yep, yep. Um, no, that is just so, so cool. I mean, first of all, the whole story was just incredible. Um, and then just everything that you were saying in terms of, like, this lifetime definitely hits home. And, you know, I can see ways that I may not have uh, thought that was connected and now I'm like putting those things together I feel like my brain is a scrambled egg trying to think of everything right now but yeah. it's just incredible So, gang, that was pretty fun, wasn't it? Uh, Annalise is such a, a joy, and uh, we went on to the rest of the reading to talk about the ways that the chart connected with her, the karmic story connected with her. And also, for me, it's a bit of a personal type of reading because whenever I get somebody with the South Node in Taurus, uh, it's a nice reflection of, in a lot of ways, what I've gone through since I also have the South Node in Taurus and for those of us that have the South Node in Taurus, it means our North Node is in Scorpio, which in a lot of circles in astrology, they claim that it's the hardest nodal axis to have because going towards that North Node is very difficult in a sense of trying to give up the control of the South Node in Taurus because Scorpio is about going into the shadow. And as you know, most of us don't choose to go into the shadow. So maybe that's why I'm such a Joseph Campbell fan because the archetypes and the karmic story go hand in hand within the hero's journey. And sometimes we don't choose to go on that hero's journey. It just is kind of forced upon us. So thank you again for listening. Uh, there'll be a podcast released every few weeks on the karmic story. And please in, tune in next time when we'll have another adventure and somebody's story into another lifetime. Hope all is well. And please visit bradwaymsastrology.com. And there you can visit my hat line. You can see what type of readings that I give and the packages that uh, I also put on there. And uh, that's it for today, gang. Take care.